Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. We're going to continue our series, One Another, this morning. So if you would join me in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. And I'm going to read that and, and chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 in just a moment. We've been in this series, uh, One Another, learning how to do life together as a church community. And how does that life together as a community reflect who Jesus is to the world around us? So we've talked about loving one another forgiving one another, these radical things that the New Testament scriptures call us to do as Jesus's people. And this morning, I want to talk to you about serving one another. So we're going to jump right in and read the text this morning from Galatians 5, chapter, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, 13 to 15, and chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. You can follow along with me on the screen or in your own Bible. It says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Paul continues in chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Let's pray. God, as you have been working and as you have been active here among your people this morning, I pray that it would just continue as we hear the gospel proclaimed from the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would speak to us, that you would convict us, that you would call us more and more into the life that you envision for us as your church and as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So I want to uh, share a little story, something I came across this week to help us uh, get a picture of of how I want to talk about serving one another this morning. Um, There was uh, something I I actually came across this interview on Instagram this week, and it's with the uh, former marathon world record holder. His name is, I got to make sure I get this right, Anastasia, Iliad Kipchoge. I hope I said that right. He's a, a native of Kenya. Did I do it right? I nailed it. I, I nailed it. Anastasia is uh, from Kenya as well, so I asked her this morning, am I saying this right? And I got it. I nailed it. I feel really proud of myself. Anyway, uh, he is the former world record marathon holder. That was actually just broken this year in, in 2023, uh, but he set this record back in 2018. He ran a marathon, which is like 26 point two miles. Did I say that right? Tim, I know you're a runner. I don't, where are you? Is it 26.2? Nailed it. I'm two for two this morning. Uh, and and he, he ran 26.2 miles in two hours, one minute, and nine seconds. How's your day going? 
So that was just recently beaten by someone else who didn't go under two hours, but they were like two hours and I think it was about 40 seconds or something like that, 39 seconds, something crazy like that. Uh, and, and, but this guy, Iliad Kipchoge, he has run five of the nine fastest marathon times in history has, have been set by him. He's, he's, so he's fast, but it's like marathon fast, right? So like if you saw a sprinter and then you saw him running, you'd be like, he's not that fast, but he does it for 26 plus miles. That's insane. I don't know what the farthest you've run is, maybe for me, like five miles or something like that, tops. It, it probably, yeah, to the car when it rains. That's, that's your running. That's Jersey's uh, workout program. See Jersey for more tips. Uh, thank you, Jersey. Uh, but but he, he's giving this interview, and I didn't know much about this guy, uh, I, I, uh, but I saw this interview, and he's talking about... Um, self-discipline. And so the guy interviewing him asked him, when you say self-discipline, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And he said, he said this, first, there's three things. He said, first, you need vitamin N. And I'm like, what's this guy saying? Vitamin N. N is for no. You need to learn how to say no a lot if you want to have self-discipline. And then he said, second is setting your priorities right. So you learn how to say no a lot, set your priorities right. And then he says this, third, you need to avoid complaining. Now that's just good advice on any given day. But then he said this, and this is what struck me. He said, the undisciplined ones are not free. They're in prison. The disciplined ones are free in life. Interesting statement. The undisciplined ones are not free. They are in prison. The disciplined ones are free in life. Now, you might be thinking, like, that doesn't sound like freedom. But there, there is a, a school of thought. This is ancient. And this spans more than just Christianity. Uh, it spans uh, Eastern religions. It spans Greek philosophy. But, but the ancient world always understood freedom as freedom from something, not freedom to something. In our, our modern world, and especially in the United States, we talk about freedom. We think about freedom as I am free to do whatever I want. But they didn't think about freedom that way, and that's not how the scriptures talk about freedom. They talk about freedom as being free from doing whatever I want. Now we go, that's not freedom. Well, think about it this way. If you are constantly responding to your impulses, your instincts, your desires, your motives, who's really in control? And, and the ancient world understood through their different worldviews, different frameworks, they understood that to be truly free, you had to move past this, this self-focused world. You had to go into something that was beyond yourself. And so for Christians, like Paul writing here, he sees this freedom. You're not free unless you are using your freedom for others. And so he makes this statement, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. He's really saying, you know, if you're, if you're trying to free yourself through this way, you're, you're actually just putting yourself in prison. 
anyone who's struggled and wrestled with any kind of serious uh, addiction, at least those addictions that are uh, not approved of in our culture, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It, it, it is a wrestle. It is a struggle to break free from those longings and desires. But there are so many other things that we would say are okay to completely give yourself to that perhaps we need to put in that category as well. So Paul brings us this vision, this idea of of being free. And I love the way Kipchoge put that. The undisciplined ones are not free. Those who are, are not living in the freedom that they possess are squandering the freedom they have. This is what what Paul's talking about. And as a matter of fact, just a few verses earlier in chapter five, do you know what Paul writes to this Galatian church? They're confused. They've gotten all of this false teaching. They're mixed up in their ways and they've started to kind of focus on themselves and their own desires and impulses. And and Paul literally, literally says, Man, Jesus Christ has made you free. You have this incredible freedom, but now, he says, you need to work on your freedom. You need to continue to maintain this place of freedom you're living in. Kipchoge would call that your your self-discipline. And then he says this, you were running this race so well, Paul says. What happened? You ever feel like you're, you're going through life, you're following Jesus really well, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, I was running this race so well, what happened? Just like one day you just realize, like, where, how did I go off track, track here? Disappointments, disillusionments, different things, dis, do they derail us, disagreements? And, and a lot of it boils down to, I believe, an overemphasis and a focus on the self. We're so caught up in us. It's everyone's favorite topic. And when we do that, Paul says, we're actually destroying our own freedom. We're actually imprisoning ourselves. We're not living a life that's free. So Paul is calling the Galatians back. He's calling us back with that reminder. When we become Christians, each of us is invited to make a choice with our freedom. Are we going to contribute to cultivating a life-giving community where we're not focused on our own desires and needs and wants? Or are we going to contribute to tearing down the community? That sounds extreme and harsh, but that's exactly how Paul is going to frame this. So what I want to show you from this is, is Paul is going to call us to make two decisions regarding our freedom and what we're going to do with it. And and the choice is before each and every one of us today. And I I pray that as we unpack this for a few minutes together, the Lord would speak to you and speak to me about areas where he's calling us back into true freedom, where we do not respond to our undisciplined natures and desires of our sinful life. And so Paul puts two choices in front of us. The first one's this, through, through the power of the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit in and through us, we have the freedom to choose to serve one another or consume one another. We each have a choice to consume, uh, serve one another or consume one another. He picks it up in, in verse 15. After talking about living in freedom, Paul says, If you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. 
beware of destroying one another. Another word for that destroying word is beware of consuming one another. Sucking the very life out of each other. You see, when we choose to serve others, we cannot, by definition, serve our sinful nature. Paul's saying, you're thinking like, I'm not biting or snapping or destroying anyone else. I'm all right. But, but Paul's actually not saying there's three options here. There's only two. If you are not serving, actively, intentionally serving one another, you are, by definition, biting, devouring, consuming. He says there's no middle ground. It's one or the other. You can either serve one another or consume one another. Four words that I just want to highlight and explain to help draw this out a little bit more. How, how do we know this is what Paul is saying? You have two choices. First, he says, you can serve one another. This word serve is a Greek word, duete. This is uh, the hardest uh, Greek words that I've ever had to pronounce for some reason. I had trouble with these this week. Duluete. Uh, and this word is more than just like helping someone. This word literally refers to being a bond servant or a slave to someone else. To basically submit your will, your desires, your wants, your needs, and make someone else's will the priority of your life. How many of you are ready to sign up for that? No one? What? That's so weird. I know, it doesn't sound great, does it? To to put someone else's needs, regardless of your own agenda, your own interests, and say, I'm going to serve you. That's what Paul's saying. Your options are, I know it sounds like more slavery. That doesn't actually sound like freedom, does it? That sounds like prison to us. But Paul is saying this is what true freedom is. Become the bond servant, the slave of everyone else. How can I help you? How can I I help you run this race well? What do you need? What are, what's on your heart? What's God doing in your life? What are your aspirations and dreams? And there's a mutuality to it where we are all doing this with each other. Now, to contrast that, what Paul says is, if you're not doing that, if you're biting and devouring one another, watch out, you're going to destroy one another. These words, uh, bite, is the Greek word daknite. Devour is this Greek word, katastheete, and consume, consume is analithete. Why am I giving you these Greek words? The Greek words are very specifically used to refer to a wild beast or an animal that is ripping apart its prey. It's very specifically used only to refer to some beast that is totally consumed with its own need, its own desire, its own hunger, its own appetites, and is ripping this other thing apart. And this word consume, when he says don't destroy one another, don't consume one another, describes a state of nothingness. Something has been so ripped to shreds, it literally doesn't exist. There's no sign or remnants of it. There's not even bones Paul says your options are to submit yourself as a servant to each other or you can rip each other to pieces until there's nothing left. 
I'm so happy you decided to join us this morning at the plant and, and be here today. And, and there's an interesting comparison that he's making here that is so relevant for our culture. You notice what he's doing. If you want to live fully in your freedom, i.e. if you want to fully experience what it means to be human, give yourselves completely to serve others. But if you don't want to be fully human, you can actually behave like an animal. And that's going to destroy you and destroy the whole community. This goes back to the the order of, of creation and the stories in Genesis. You see, God made all of creation. He said it was good. It was good. But then he made human beings and he said, human beings are very good. There's something so unique, and we'll come back to this in a moment, something so unique about you and I as human beings that we're called to live differently, not in response to our instincts like this, but we are called to give ourselves completely to each other in loving service. Now, in a very materialistic, consumeristic culture like ours, the smallest little bit of self-sacrifice sounds like an enormous ask sometimes. How many of you love to be inconvenienced by neighbors and friends and loved ones with needs that they have? You're just like, sign me up. It's my favorite thing. Weird, no hands are going up. That's strange. It's, it's so challenging because we're taught to chase after what you need, chase after what you desire, what's going to make you happy. And Paul would say, man, you're enslaving yourself and you don't even realize it. Because you're actually just chasing the the sinful appetites. The, The term in the scripture is the flesh. You're just chasing an appetite that you can't fulfill. And it's actually imprisoning you more. True service to each other requires us to let go of the constant inward focus on what do I need. And true service to others actually requires us to open us up and be attentive to the other. When was the last time you spent more than an hour in a single day being attentive to the needs of someone else that was not part of your immediate household or family and you did not get a paycheck for it or anything like that? Yeah, therapists in the room, you can't count. That doesn't count because that's your job. You get paid for it. You get no benefit from just attending to be present to someone else. Anyone in the last week, I'm sure some of you have. I know some of you are really good at this, but sometimes you don't have to put your hands up or anything, but just to think about it, like, man, how often do we really do this? I mean, honestly, I don't do it that often. How many of you did something incredibly inconvenient and out of your way that you were going to get no benefit from for someone else recently? See, this is, what, this is actually what we're describing in a sense is what true friendship really is. True spiritual friendship, true community that's built on, I don't need anything from you, but I love you and I want to serve you well. I want to serve one another. Stanley Harawas says, says this about a friendship. He's an American theologian. He says, Americans are very friendly, but we aren't very good at being friends. He says, friendship turns out to be very demanding. It's really demanding, isn't it? 
To give someone your attention like that, to be present to their needs, uh, especially as you get older. Like I, I found almost 20 years ago now and coming out of college thinking like, I'm going to be like really close with these guys for the rest of my life. And then and you get almost 20 years later and, and you start going, man, we really have to work at staying connected together. It's not easy. Because you get sucked into your own world, you get sucked into your own career, you get sucked into your own family, you get sucked into your own pursuits, and we lose touch, and we start believing that the world centers around what we're trying to accomplish and do in the world. And our encounters become increasingly transactional, even when we see our friends. Let's go do something. And it's about the doing something often instead of actually being present to the other person. Hauerwas offers an interesting way forward. He says, just like learning how to be attentive to God in prayer, we can learn how to be attentive to one another. He says two things. Surely the same time and patience for prayer are what make friendship possible. And then he says this. I love this. As Christians, we believe that God has given us all the time and patience necessary to be friends to one another. To put that in the context of Paul's words here, as Christians, we believe that God, who has supplied abundantly all our needs, has given us all the patience and time necessary to serve one another. Do we really believe that? Does our behavior reflect that we believe that? When we give attention, how many of you receive, have received attention like this from someone where they're just, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, no, I see that. Maybe you got to think about this, but I, I hear, I'm here for you. I'm present with you. I'm t- and you just feel like, wow, they see me. I feel so validated. I feel empowered by this. Okay, they're also challenging me to, maybe I got to change in this or I, I got to see this. But man, I, I like really feel like I can do this now. It is so life-giving when someone really listens to you. It's so good. And you realize how dry and anemic your soul is because you haven't gotten that. And Paul's describing this attentiveness, this serving one another. He's like, this is normal Christian living. This is normal. This isn't like a mountaintop experience. This should be the normal experience of the Christian community together with one another. Serve one another. And there's life. We don't consume one another and leave the bones, not even the bones behind. We're giving life to each other as we serve one another. So Paul says, your freedom leaves you a choice. You can serve one another or consume one another. Which will you choose? Secondly, he says that the spirit is so powerful and moving and empowering your life and you have so much freedom in Christ that you get to choose, secondly, to see others as more important or to see yourself as more important. You have freedom to choose this. Freedom to choose this. I love love this, verses uh, 2 and 3 in chapter 6. He says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. This is is the challenge that Paul says. He says this, I, I love this. No one's burden is too big or too small for you to carry or help carry. But he's also saying the other side's true. You do not have a burden that is too big 
or too small for someone else to help carry. No burden is too big or too small for you to help carry, and you do not have a burden that is too big or too small for someone else to help carry. I remember praying for, for someone. They had this, it was a couple years ago, a couple of us were praying for this guy. He, he had this like back tweak problem. He tweaked his back doing some exercise, and he like, oh, I wasn't gonna bring it up. He just kept saying it, it wasn't, I just didn't think it was a big deal. We're like, what are you talking about? Is your back in pain? Yeah, it's in pain. Well, let's pray for it. He got healed like that. It was wild. One guy like put his hand, we're, we're praying, we invite God to come, and this one guy puts his hand on his back and he just like touches it and his back was hot with the presence of God. Sometimes happens when people are getting healed and he's just like, he goes, he lets off an expletive. He's just like, holy, you can fill in the rest. We're recording, so we don't want an expletive on the podcast. Uh, but he, but he, he was just like shocked, like, whoa, God's working. But can you imagine if he thought he was too important to not be, have others carry his burden? No, 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 no. Don't worry about that. Or no, 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 this isn't a big deal. Let me just take it. We had to insist on carrying his burden. Now, I want to make a clarification here about considering ourselves too important to either serve or, or be served. Uh, I want to say just a couple things to clarify this. Uh, God made each of you intentionally. God made you and loves you deeply. In fact, in Genesis, as I mentioned earlier, he says all of creation is good, but he made you human very good. So I want to just affirm that that is true of who you are. You are very good. So when Paul is saying not to think of yourself as important, here's what he is not saying, because this always gets missed in this. Paul is not saying you should not think of yourself as very good. Paul is not saying you have no value. Paul is not saying that whatever you have to say or what you think or what you do or what you offer does not matter. None of that is what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is that we have to recognize that we often have a propensity to take all of the goodness that God created us to have and we take all of that goodness and we begin to consider our goodness better than the goodness of the people around us. Are you with me? And so this is what Paul is saying. We, we tend to have the propensity to get so inward focused on our stuff that we start idolizing ourselves. Because you are very good. It's amazing. If we really unpacked what God has done in bringing you into the world and who you are and all the stuff that we have no idea that God thinks about you, we'd be blown away. Like we might start idolizing you too. But we have to understand and see that God has put this in us as people. And that's who we are just as people. It's not in us, it is us. And so what does that look like, though, when we begin to think of ourselves as too important? It might, it might look like um, thinking of your life as harder than everyone else's life. Your life isn't harder, it's just different. You've had your experience, other people have had theirs. Uh, sometimes doing things like, you know, especially when you've committed to something and you say, oh, sorry, I was too busy. I couldn't get that done. Or, or saying like, oh, I'm sorry, I was, I was late. You know, I had all these things happen or I have a lot going on right now. Especially when we've made a commitment to something. Usually those kinds of things about uh, our time, what we're communicating is my time is more important. Therefore, I couldn't be here on time like you were. I, I have a special exception in my life. Now, 
Things happen all the time. Things are out of our control. Absolutely. What I'm saying is, is you don't have a right to say, like I, had, like, I couldn't do anything about this. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what I'm saying? We often make excuses about, like, well, there's a reason why I can't follow through on this thing I committed to. And what we do when we're, we're saying that is, like, you know, my time actually matters differently. And I'm going to ask all of you to reorient yourself around what I need. We need to serve each other. We can't do that. I know that one's a challenging one for some of us. What pro- this is a whole other sermon, but what's probably going on there is you are overcommitted to things, and you need to say no more often. You need to go back to um, our friend Iliad there and listen to get some vitamin N. But, but I love this. Sometimes we think about ourselves as too much, or even the, we get the flip side of this. We say, no, 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 my problems are just too much. I, I, you can't help me. No, 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 I'm too far gone. I'm too broken. There's nothing that can be done about this. There's nothing you can do to help me. And we're also saying we're too important in that sense. I know it doesn't seem like it, but it is. It's a version of being too important. And I love Richard Rohr on this, the Catholic uh, spiritual writer. He says this, you are not that important. Your life is not about you. He's pretty blunt. And I think it's a very helpful reminder. You are not that important and your life is not about What if your life was instead about being a burden and carrying the burden of others? Okay, I'll carry other people's burdens, but I don't want to be a burden. That's that's not a good idea, right? John Stott, the uh, English theologian, he died in 2011. He he said this, "I, I sometimes hear old people, including Christian people, who should know better, say, I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. I'm happy to carry on living so long as I can look after myself. But as soon as I become a burden, I would rather die. But this is wrong, Stott says. We are all designed to be a burden to others. You are designed to be a burden to me, and I am designed to be a burden to you. And the life of the family, including the life of the local church, should be one of mutual burdensomeness. I love that. You are designed to be a burden to me, and I am designed to be a burden to you. I'm going to ask you to do something very comfortable right now. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Okay? And, and I want, want you one at a time to say, you are designed to be a burden to me. I know, I'm asking you to be uncomfortable. This is the gospel truth. We need to hear this this morning. Don't think yourself too important to be a burden to someone else. I'm telling you right now. Now the other person say, you are designed to be a burden to me. Now I want this, switch roles here. Here we go. I know this is a lot. I am designed to be a burden to you. And now the other person, I am designed to be a burden to you. Some of you, that was the most awkward thing you've done in your life because it goes against everything you have been taught your entire life. Don't be a burden. Figure it out yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I am here to tell you that there is nothing in that that looks like Christian community. 
Now, does that mean you have no responsibility and you should not take your responsibility for things? Absolutely not. Everyone is responsible for their actions and their behaviors, but we are responsible to serve one another and carry one another's burdens. I'll tell you real quick, and then I'll, I'll tell I'll two, two quick stories to close here. Uh, I, I have, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and um, I have, for most of my time in ministry, for almost 15 years, have hated October and Pastor Appreciation Month because people give me cards, they give me gift cards, they give money, they give, you know, uh, you know, uh, little gifts like coffee. I mean, you know, coffee is the way to my heart. But, uh, but I, I tell you, I, it's only been in the last few years that I have learned to receive those gifts well. And I, I was like, why is this so uncomfortable to me? And I realized it was about this right here. I don't want to be a burden on the community. I have just as much of a responsibility to be a burden to you as you have to be a burden to me. If I change that power dynamic and say, no, 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 you, I just take care of you. I've said I'm more important. I don't need you, you need me. That's not the kind of relationship this community is. Do you hear me? So I've had to learn my, my pride, my arrogance, my self-importance. God's had to like wear that down and grind that down in the last few years to say, you're not that important, Andrew. And you know you could use some coffee right now. Take it. Don't act like you don't need it. Don't act like you don't want it. Who have you considered yourself to be too important to serve? Or who have you considered yourself too important to be served by? One of the, the spiritual writers and spiritual formation writers, especially the, through the, the Middle Ages and the Christian mystics, would often say that one of the marks, the last marks of pride that often holds on is someone uh, only seeking spiritual counsel and wisdom from the experts. If they're not willing to receive it from the Christian who's there on day one, then it's a sign of their pride. Because that Christian who's been a Christian for one day has the same spirit of God at work in their life as the expert. And so in our life groups, when we sit around a table together, when we, when we share life together, the quote-unquote experts in the room, the people who've been Christians for long enough, they show their maturity and their lack of self-importance by receiving from those who are younger believers, newer believers. That is how you show true Christian maturity in those spaces. There's always something to learn from one another because we all have God at work in us. I want to close with, with this last story back to Iliad Kipchoge. Um, his, his record was uh, two hours and one minute, I think it says at the beginning. Well, he he's runs for this team that's sponsored by this, this brand called Ineos. It's a British uh, team, racing team. They do all sorts of different racing. And, and his team sponsored this special event because they wanted to see if they could prepare him to run a marathon in under two hours. So it wasn't an official record because it wasn't a race. Uh, but but what they did is they prepared him and, and trained for this. And uh, what he did is, is they prepared him, and then they set up the whole marathon course. He was going to run this race in, in Vienna. 
And, and what they did, this is crazy what they did. They got uh, some of the best distance runners in the world to pace him and run with him. And they would change out every so often so that they could run at a faster pace. And he was surrounded. I was trying to get pictures up, but I couldn't get the, the file to work to show you. But he was surrounded by this group of some of the best long distance runners in the world. And they were running to help pace him. And, and there were people on bicycles that were following along. And I think they were, riders were, changing out with runners. And then on top of it all, they had this special truck with this mount on the back and this big laser was pointing a spot on the ground as the truck was moving. And it was showing Kipchoge the spot he needed to be at in order to keep time to be under a two-hour marathon pace because they wanted to see if it was physically possible to do. And so they, they did this and guess what? He did the marathon in an hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. So it's technically not an official marathon record because it wasn't a race, but I mean, that's pretty amazing that he was able to do that. And Sir Jim Radcliffe, who, who owns the Ineos company and, and runs all these teams, he said this, this struck me. He said, running is normally such a solitary sport. Think about it. Running and racing, it's all about you. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make it. He said, running is such a solitary sport. But here, they were all running for Iliad. I, the world, my friends, is, is such a solitary sport. Our Western culture is such a solitary sport. It is all about running your own race and your own freedom, and I'm going to do my own thing. But what if we all started running for each other? What if we all started running together? What if serving one another and bearing one another's burdens started, started to look like running a race for and with each other? How much farther could we go? How much faster could we get there? What kind of life does God want to breathe into his people when we begin to serve one another and not consume one another? What kind of a witness does that give us to the people of West Milford, to our neighbors, to our friends, when they see you're doing what for who? Are they paying you? What? Are they giving you their Netflix password? What are, they, what are you getting for this? No, I just, I love them. We run together. We run for each other. And in doing so, we bring life. Through our, through our freedom, we choose to bring life to each other. And it's a light to the whole world. Do you want to run for each other? Do you want to serve one another? Do you want to realize what it means to be fully alive in Christ, fully human? Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.